Hello and welcome to the Learn Chinese Insights podcast, brought to you by ChineseLearnOnline.com, your progressive online Mandarin course. In each episode, I interview someone who has learned Chinese as a second language to find out how they learned it and, more importantly, what they're doing with this Chinese now. So, in this episode, I'm happy to have Ross Feingold. So, Ross, before we begin, uh, can you just give us a short introduction in Chinese, and then we'll go from there. Sure, 没有问题。我我是来自美国的 Ross Feingold， 我来台湾二十年。我第一次来台湾是因为想学国语，所以我来来台北，然后在台湾的师范大学国语中心学一年的中文。那之后回。美国年年就是，然后毕业之后来来回回台湾很多次，都是为了工作。All right, good. So you said you came here twenty years ago, right? Correct. All right, and you came here to learn Chinese. So back then in America, what、uh, what made you want to learn Chinese? Well, I originally began studying Chinese when I was in university. In fact, I spent one year of university studying Chinese in Singapore at an intensive Mandarin program at National University of Singapore. So when I finished university, I wanted very much to continue studying Mandarin, and the choices were to go to Singapore again, go to the mainland, or go to Taiwan. I chose to come to Taiwan. Now, of course, these days learning Mandarin's in vogue. Everyone wants to do it. But 20 years ago, I assume it, it wasn't as popular as it was today. So what? That's made- that's true. But but even 20 years ago, and and maybe this will come as a surprise to some of the long, younger listeners. <laughs> In the mid 90s, we were already hearing about China's economic growth. We should keep in mind that the opening policies that the communist government began really started late 70s, early 80s. So. Even by the mid '90s, when when somebody my age was in university, this was no secret. China was already growing quite rapidly, and, and Japan had already started its great slowdown.、Mm. So it was your motivation. You thought if you could speak Mandarin, it'll give you more opportunities in the future. Correct. It, it was、uh, meant to be a career tool,、uh, that, and that's why、uh, I began studying Mandarin. And,、sure. and it was specifically. Because of the news coming out of this part of the world that,、mm-hmm. that China was growing very rapidly.、Mm. So when you, you when you did your first, you said you spent how long in Singapore? One year, my whole third year of uni. Okay. So how was your Chinese when you went back? Well, after my first my first year in Singapore, which was a four hour a day program for two semesters. Uh, we learned about 1,600 or so characters.、Uh, I think it, the program was meant to teach 800 per semester. So at the end of two semesters, 1,600. So this is、uh, even writing. That that's correct. Yes,、oh, okay. and, and because it was Singapore, it was、uh, simplified characters. Okay.、Uh, but、uh, not not certainly not to discourage anyone. But after one year. Of four hours a day class and learning 1,600 characters, people do need to keep in mind that your ability to communicate and to read written documents is still severely limited.、Mm. Uh, it, it, it's not enough.、Mm. Uh, 1,600 characters is not enough to read newspapers, to read most kinds of 
informal communications, even if it was something like a friend's email or a blog post. Uh, and it's certainly not enough to read the subtitles of a television or, or, or a television program or movie mm. um, or to write any of these kinds of communications. So, uh, again, not to discourage anyone, but after one year of four hours a day and 1,600 characters, there's still uh, ways to go. You're about halfway there. Uh, that, that's that's a fair assessment because mm. most experts, which I'm certainly not, but most experts would say you, you need close to 3,000 characters to do the things that I, I just mentioned, such to as to the 95%. Read, read formal documents or, or watch and understand a television show or a movie, uh, newspapers, for example. Again, the experts will tell you it's close to 3,000 characters. So as you said, I was only halfway there at the end of one year. So outside of these four hours a day, did you have an opportunity to to use the Chinese you were learning? Well, when I was in Singapore doing four hours a day, uh, it because it was designed as a full-time intensive program, they also gave us a similar amount of homework every day. <laughs> uh, this being Singapore, it was very regimented and and. We also had a large number of writing assignments that had to be turned in. We had weekly quizzes. As I said, we were learning uh, 50 characters a week, 50 new ones. So, um, yes, there was opportunity to use Mandarin. People do use Mandarin for everyday communication in Thai, I'm sorry, in Singapore, especially mm -hmm. for basic purchases, the way people might use Taiwanese dialect here in Taiwan. Mm. Um, but we were also uh, very busy with all our schoolwork as well. All right. So after you finished that one year, you went back to the U.S.? That's right. I went back to finish university and I, I took Mandarin as one of my courses. So I had a, a normal course load, um, which included mostly classes that were unrelated to Mandarin study. So Mandarin study was only, uh, I, I don't remember, but maybe it was about five hours a week, we'll say, you know, just as one of my classes. So in that Mandarin class, were most of the people taking it like non-Chinese people? That's an interesting question. Uh, it was a very small university in a rural part of Pennsylvania. So it wasn't a university that attracted a large number of international students uh, or, frankly, even uh, ethnic minority students. Mm -hmm. um, but... Uh, no surprise. The answer to your question is yes. Uh, most of my classmates were either from Taiwan and looking for a very easy A, <laughs> or they were ethnically Chinese, Chinese Americans, no matter what generation. And either they also spoke some good Mandarin, so it was an easy A, or they were looking to rediscover their roots. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, all right, so then after you, you finished your university, then you decided to come to Taiwan. Correct. And as we were discussing earlier, it was because I wanted to continue with studying Mandarin. And, and there was a, the choice of Singapore again, uh, mainland China or, or Taiwan. So I'm often asked, well, why did you come to Taiwan and not China at that time? And, and there's some pretty easy answers to that question. Uh, the easiest answer is I had an American friend who had already spent some time in Taiwan and said it's an easy place to just go to, get off the plane, 
and, and sign up for a Mandarin class and, and, and be able to survive. Uh, so part, part of my decision was based on the experience and recommendation of my friend. And the other reason also was uh, back then, it wasn't as easy to just go to China and to live in China. Mm-hmm. It's certainly dramatically different now. Um, but again, it, it wasn't as easy. The Mandarin schools didn't have as good a reputation or as, as much experience of the, as they've gained now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excuse me. So that, that was another factor. Uh, and also, I, I think uh, from a career planning perspective, again, back then, in some ways, Taiwan was more of a a center for doing business in China, uh, especially for multinational companies. So they might have based staff here who are responsible for China market, mm-hmm. whereas now those people would just be living in Shanghai or Beijing. Mm-hmm. When you came to Taiwan at that time, was your plan to, after you finish your Mandarin studies, to stay on here? Uh, no, certainly not. Um, it was to go to Hong Kong or, or China. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I, I first in the interim did go back to the U.S. for graduate school. Uh, and then after graduate school, I did come back to Taiwan for a few years, but subsequently also worked in Singapore and in Hong Kong as well. All right. So what was your your university degrees in? Political science and Asian studies. All right. So after you came here and uh, you... You finished your Mandarin studies. How were the? What was your first like job? Well, uh, I, I did go back. As I said, I went back for graduate school. So after I finished graduate school, I came back here um, and I studied graduate in graduate school. I studied law. Mm-hmm. So I did work a, in, in a law firm here for three years. Okay. So then, so for um, for people who are interested in in working in Asia, in Taiwan, and things. Uh, would you say learning Mandarin, like, is that a crucial aspect to it? Uh, varies by profession, but I, I will share some alternative advice if you will allow me to do so. Sure. The most important thing that I find, regardless of location, whether it's in East Asia, South America, or Africa, it, it, it's not language. Mm-hmm. Not it's not being able to speak the language of that location. There, there's always going to be bilingual people. There's always going to be somebody who speaks both of the languages as a native right. and, and as a, a, a person who learns it as a second language. You'll never be able to speak it as well as some other people do. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't delude yourself. What, what's most important is really the core skills that, that you are bringing, regardless of what your profession is. And that's what people are going to value most of all. So if, if you are a research scientist mm-hmm. and you really want to live in Paris, for example, if you don't speak French, you could probably still find a job in a multinational company as a research scientist because they're going to value your excellent research skills. And, mm-hmm. and the same would apply in, in most professions. Uh, and I've observed this in my now 15, 20 years of, of professional experience. And I've, I've certainly seen it in this part of the world, whether it's Taiwan, Japan, China, Korea, Thailand, etc., where employers, whether it's a local employer or a multinational company, 
is still going to put a premium on the professional skills of the individual involved. And if there's a match, if those skills are needed at the moment by the employer, uh, the language skill is is not the the primary concern. Mm -hmm. Unless it is a job that truly requires the the ability to communicate in that language, but I I don't think that's the kind. Those are the kinds of jobs we're we're discussing in, in mm -hmm. the context of this question. Okay, and uh, as far as you personally, have you noticed any difference in in just a general company culture working in uh, companies here versus what it would be like out west? Well, it, it's extraordinarily different. Some of it probably plays into stereotypes that the, the what are like a couple of examples that come. In well, it, it could be more top down, uh, you know, more higher hierarchical. Mm -hmm. uh, feedback is not always welcome in the same way that it's welcome in, in Western companies, or frankly, the way it might be expected in in Western companies. Mm -hmm. uh, people work long hours all over the world. Uh, sometimes I find people in this part of the world have a perception that they work longer hours than people in other parts of the world. That's not true. Everybody works long hours. The difference here is if somebody often if someone works past six o'clock, they're suddenly saying oh, I'm working overtime, mm -hmm. whereas uh, certainly in, for professional jobs in the West, you leave when that day's urgent stuff is done. If you don't you don't call it overtime. Mm -hmm. right? I worked in financial institutions in, in uh, of multinational companies uh, work in Hong Kong or Singapore office. And if we stayed until nine o'clock, we didn't call it overtime, <laughs> right? It was, it just comes with the territory. Right. And are you, so for you personally, what do you like about uh, living in Asia versus living out West? Like what makes you choose to live out here? Well, no matter how long, I stay here. It, it's still a different place. You, know, you you always have the the knowledge that you, you've done something quite different. It's probably quite different from uh, most of the people you would have grown up with back home. That you've come far away, mm -hmm. a place where the language is different and the culture is different. So you you always have that knowledge, and, and that that's always a a continuing motivating factor to to live far away. Mm -hmm. And now, in your in your particular work right now, do you use Chinese as part of it? Uh, I do. Uh, so I, I do consulting, and I I do have to talk to local people. I do have to read documents written in Chinese or understand events in Taiwan. So yeah, I, I do use it quite frequently. Hmm. All right. Um, Okay, well, that was a very fascinating look at your journey, so I appreciate you sharing your time with us. No problem. Yeah, and if people have any questions about this, then I'll, I'll forward their comments to you. Certainly. Okay, thanks, Ross. Thank you.